welcome to SciGest, your fortnightly serving of digestible science from plant and food research. Hi everyone and welcome to another SciGest podcast in the Science Life For Me series. I'm Hilary Island, a molecular biologist, plant and food research and new SciGest podcaster. For my first podcast, I have the pleasure and privilege to interview Philippa Stevens, our Group General Manager of Science Services here at Plant and Food Research. Philippa has successfully risen through the ranks of plant and food, starting as a technician, becoming a scientist, transitioning into science management and finally reaching a top spot as member of our senior leadership team. A fascinating career that many would like to emulate, I'm sure. Hello Philippa and welcome to the podcast. Hi Hilary. Before we learn more about your journey through science, can you tell us about your role and the sorts of science questions your group are currently addressing? Well, my role now is Group General Manager Science Services, which is a terrible title, but that's a member of the senior leadership team at Plant and Food Research, and my particular responsibility is for the research we do for customers. So um, that's research we do paid for by customers, and the only reason they pay us to do any research is that they have a problem that they want science to solve, or there's an opportunity that they want to unlock for their business. And so we are actually doing very, very customer-focused research to create value for those customers. So who are some of the customers? We've got a wide range of customers. I think last time I looked there were over 200 customers, um, but most of our revenue comes from a top 10 set of customers. And just for example, that does include Zespri, the New Zealand apple and pear, Avocados New Zealand, um, Brigato Research Institute, a whole range of horticultural and seafood sectors. Right, mm. excellent, excellent. Your journey in science has been long and successful. Where did your interest in science begin? Well, I grew up loving animals, loving nature. Um, I didn't really equate that as being about science, actually, until um, a friend of mine at school said she was going off to university to study zoology. And I thought, that sounds quite interesting. I wonder what that's about. And I thought, I might go to university and do the same course as her. So I really didn't know what I wanted to do, but I kind of had vague ideas that maybe I could get a job working on elephants in Africa or um, tigers or lions or something like that. Yeah, so uh, it just sort of built from a love of nature. Excellent. Mm. Were any family members in science roles at all? Um, Not science roles, but my grandmother was an environmentalist and she and her husband um, fought to protect the environment of New Zealand for many, many years. They were involved in setting up the anti-mining movement in Coromandel as young children. And we were always taken out for tree planting sessions. We were um, encouraged to write submissions on various issues around protecting bits of native bush. So yes, I was very, very conscious about the, I guess, the threat, the perilous state of our environment from quite a young age, thanks to my grandmother wow. in particular. Sounds mm. like a remarkable woman. Mm. So you're, you were interested in zoology. Uh, was there any plant influence in there at that um, um, young well, what age? I, what I ended up doing um, for my undergrad degree, I did quite a broad ecological degree, which at, at that time meant we studied um, forest ecology, freshwater ecology. But I did a lot of um, papers on, on zoology, biology. When I went to university, actually, it was compulsory to do chemistry as well. So um, I had to do stage one chemistry, which was interesting because I didn't actually do chemistry at school. Um, and so I um, managed to pass that by the skin of my teeth and sort of well moved done. on, not doing any chemistry after that point. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so I think my undergrad was quite broad and included a lot of time 
you know, working in forest systems. Very little time working in horticultural managed systems, actually. That came later once I started working. So. Okay, right. Mm. Mm. Uh, so when, when you started working, what was your first job then? So I've worked at um, what is now Plant and Food Research for more than 30 years, and I actually did my master's at the research organisation, which was quite unusual in those days. So I was based at what was the DSIR at the time, and I was working on biological control of leaf rollers and kiwifruit. Kiwifruit was a relatively young industry then. There wasn't a huge research programme on kiwifruit compared to other crops in New Zealand. And I joined the small team and they sort of took pity on me, obviously, as a really hungry, struggling student. And they gave me a few jobs on the side, sort of casual work. So sort of helping in the lab, doing dishes, um, sorting out some files, data entry. Um, But my first, I guess, big program of work that I was involved in was actually a a program of work to try and open up the Japan market to New Zealand apples. So the work pretty much involved cutting little holes in apples, putting in a codling moth larvae and then covering them up and then we would fumigate them and then after a, a period of storage open up the apples and see how many of their codling moth had survived the treatment. And we were doing this work watched over by some Japanese inspectors who were wanting to sort of check the validity of the data we were we were providing. And that program went on for quite a few months. Um, it was a fixed-term, casual sort of a job, but eventually that led to, having got a foot in the door, I always say to people, get your foot in the door, yeah. that led to actually a technician's job at the DSIR. So. Right. Was that also in pest management? Yeah, that was the early days of um, looking at genetic modification as a research okay. tool. And so I was actually in a group looking at... Um, the idea of modifying pasture species for resistance to the major pasture pests. So I worked there for a while, but it wasn't really where I wanted to be because my passion was actually much more in the ecological, biological control area. And a a job came up actually at the same organisation as a technician in the biological control area. So I applied for that and moved sideways at that point. But I felt like I was moving sideways to a position where I could kind of really get my dig in and, and, and try and build a research career from that point. Fantastic. Mm. So you say that was following your passion in a way. Mm. Is, do you think that's important in a successful yeah, career? absolutely, because um, I've always been really passionate about the work I do. I, I love the work that is seeking to reduce the risks of using pesticides on crops, using alternative methods. And I think I'm so proud of the the New Zealand horticultural industry and what they've been able to achieve over the last 20 years. It, there's been a huge transformation. People don't realise there's been a huge transformation in how the pests of horticultural crops are managed. Um, and I, I see us as world leaders. Our industries are world leaders when it comes to sustainable ways of managing pests. Right. So, and yeah. that's... That would be the integrated pest management systems. Yeah, yeah. We talked about we talked about integrated pest management systems back in the eighties and nineties, and that sort of evolved from just thinking about how you control pests and diseases through to how you actually manage whole fruit vegetable production systems. So including all the inputs, so not just agrochemicals for pest or disease control, but thinking about fertilisers, how you look after the um, ground covers and what plants you might plant around the outside, you know, companion crops, cover crops. So it's really expanded a lot since then. But fundamentally, it's all about growing food in as sustainable a manner as possible. Right. So, yeah. And you say we're world leaders in that 
type of system. It, absolutely. I was really lucky enough to be working on kiwi fruit in the late 1980s, early 1990s. And that was really, I think, an exciting time to be working in insect pest management research. What happened is that, um, like today, much of the kiwi fruit grown in New Zealand was being exported overseas. And one of our export markets, Italy, said that they weren't going to accept any New Zealand kiwi fruit if it had detectable residues on it. So the industry came to DSIR, um, or Hort Research at the time, and said, hey, we need your help. We need to be able to grow kiwi fruit without any residues ending up on the fruit at harvest. And so working with um, the kiwi fruit industry, we ran a pilot program of actually um, implementing some of our research methods that we'd been working on. And it was a very successful pilot program. It did produce fruit that had no residues on that were able to look after the Italy export market. But the kiwi fruit industry basically from that point expanded it and within a few years, that approach was applied to the entire kiwifruit production system in New Zealand. Um, and when we were doing that work, the people in Europe, you know, people, pest control professionals in Europe were sort of saying, that can never be done. You'll really? never be able to do that. But we did it. And we did the same in New Zealand with our apples. And again, um, a lot of the other apple producing countries around the world were saying that can never be done. But we did it. That's so um, I think we've got, it's been fantastic to have been involved in that work. And other systems, have they evolved further from those days or yeah, are they? Yeah, they do continue to evolve, but they're still fundamentally in place. So some of the things that cause them to evolve is if we get a new pest or disease that is, right. becomes established in, in New Zealand. And so then there needs to be a new approach to how we might manage that. So Sure. Yeah. And during those um, times of Kiwi Green, did you? Yep, call it? Kiwi Green yep. was the Kiwi Fruit Program. Yeah. Were you a technician then, or were you a scientist? Well, I was. I was a research technician in a small team, and at that time, I wasn't. I'm not particularly ambitious. Never been very ambitious, but I knew I did want to be promoted to be a scientist. Right. Technicians are kind of like the doing people in a science lab. You know, they get they're doing a lot <laughs> of the work, and I had some ideas, and I thought I wanted to be able to. I guess, run some projects to test some of those ideas. And I had a really, really supportive boss. And he really encouraged me to take some leadership of some of the research projects. Um, so I was really, really lucky like that. But um, I did want to have my contribution recognised by being promoted to what's called a scientist, which is a more senior level position. So um, I, uh, my boss actually decided to leave and set up his own business. And at that time... I ended up um, with one of my fellow technicians who I've had a fantastic career-long working relationship with. We basically picked up all the research programs that my boss had been responsible for and then just ran with them. We just delivered them, we wrote the reports, we presented to the customers, we talked about what the next steps are. And my colleague and I looked at each other and we sort of talked a lot and we said, well, maybe we should, maybe we should actually see if what we've been doing can be recognised and see if we can get a promotion to become a scientist. Mm. So we actually contacted um, like a really senior manager in the organisation that basically we'd never met, we didn't know because we were humble technicians, <laughs> sent him our CVs, asked for a meeting and quaking in our shoes, we walked in and said actually we'd quite like you to consider p making us scientists. Quite nerve-wracking and 
We were actually really delighted because he had looked at our CVs and said, look, I've got plenty of scientists whose CVs aren't as good as this. Very happy to promote you to be scientists. Congratulations. Well done. So that was great. But the interesting thing was, is that wasn't, we actually had to instigate that. That wasn't something that was offered to us. I don't think if we hadn't kind of got our big girl shoes on and (laughs) asked for that appointment and made that initiative, I don't think it would have happened like that. Yes. So, um, and from that point on, we, colleague and I were both scientists working in a a research group, a, a whole lot of other scientists and technicians. And we then sort of entered a period of time when we felt that we really had to prove ourselves. I think neither of us had PhDs. I had a master's. And normally a scientist would have a PhD. And so being very conscious of that, it started a period of actually huge amount of work to prove myself, basically. Mm. Prove I had what it took, that, that, that my performance justified the faith that had in me by making me, by promoting me. Right. So, yeah. Um, Even though the CV spoke for itself in uh-huh, the initial... Uh, yes, yeah. yes. But, yes, you can't sort of rest on <laughs> your rest laurels. On your laurels. <laughs> you can't rest on your laurels. So, yeah, great fun, though. It's and, great. yeah, and, and sort of became well-established as a scientist after a number of years. So. As part of that leadership, were you managing a team of people as well? Um, yeah, I had started off, usually had someone help me over the summer, over the busy summer period, but over time I sort of got busier with more work and ended up with my own technicians. And actually one of the things that's given me more satisfaction than many other things in my career is when I went into management, my technician actually stepped neatly into my shoes and was promoted as a scientist and just took over the research program and ran with it. So Wonderful. I think that's one of the things that I, I, I see is really fantastic about working in science is that is that you can build your career from quite humble beginnings if you're prepared to put the work in, um, but actually being able to support your colleagues to build their careers as well was really, really rewarding. Right. So, mm. An essential part of a, a good team leader, I would say, mm. is building others. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. What other yeah. key skills do you think made you well-suited to uh, leadership? Um, well, I think one of them is, and maybe it's because I didn't have a PhD or don't have a PhD, I've always described myself as a generalist, um, jack of all trades, master of none. I have a wide knowledge of the principles of integrated pest and disease management, a little bit of knowledge about most of the key technical approaches, but I wouldn't say I was a deep expert in any of them. But what I can do is connect and work with people who are deep experts. That's quite a useful framework to when you're moving into leadership of research um, which includes areas that you don't know that much about you have to understand enough about it but you don't need to become an expert in it and you can't be an expert in it you can't get across it all but being able to get your head across a wide range of research is I think a really important characteristic right Mm. Mm. how would you cultivate that and (laughs) and <laughs> uh, people coming up um, into science. I think one of the things that I was quite lucky when I came up, um, I did have, I mentioned before, I had several fixed-term casual positions. They were with different teams, different areas of science, so that helped me learn about different areas. Um, but also I started being involved, I did a, quite a few collaborative research projects with people in other disciplines, and you actually learn about their disciplines. Mm. Um, I was interested in other areas, of in a wide range of science, so listening to presentations, reading, and just talking to people. Yeah. Um, sort of not being locked into a narrow area of research, I think, is quite important. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It's sort of skipping ahead a bit, but um, 
there seems to be a good a good culture of collaboration at Plant and Food. Is that a, a directive coming out of the science leadership team? I think um, I'm trying to remember how it's how it's changed over the years. I think that there has been an increase in cross-discipline collaboration in science over the last 15 years. Right. I think that's been something that's been continually happening. I think, I don't know if there was a particular directive. It's been a direction of travel, I think sure. I'd describe it as. Right. Yeah, and I think that's where the great advances are made when you get people from different disciplines working together. Yes. Um, so. Yes. Wonderful. So, yes, eventually um, you made your way into business strategy. Mm. How did that come about? I moved out of a research position into a full-time management or leadership position. It wasn't really my career goal. I just had my career goal when I was a scientist was to be try and be a good scientist. But my boss was leaving and he, <laughs> he, he was, they were looking for his replacement and he came up to me to my surprise one day and he said, look, I've been thinking about who might be able to replace me and I think it's you. I was totally surprised, didn't think that this was the case at all. Um, but I, um, I was so flattered that he suggested that, that I thought, well, I'm going to apply. You know, you never know. Find out a bit more about it. Um, I can always say no mm-hmm. if, in the unlikely event that they actually think I could do the job. And to my great <laughs> surprise, they actually offered me the job. And that was leading a smallish team um, of, of researchers at a number of different sites. But it was a full-time management job, so it was leaving research behind totally. Mm. I um, decided to take it on. Um, I thought I would quite enjoy it. I thought I would really enjoy being able to connect with scientists on a much wider range of research programs, um, going back to that you know, my enjoyment of being a generalist and collecting, yes. connecting with people from different areas of science. So instead of being responsible just for my own research projects, I got to dabble in the much wider range of projects that other people were leading in, in the group. Um, but I guess once I moved into that management role, over time just opportunities came up through quite a, you know, several restructurings to put my name up for um, expanded management roles. Mm-hmm. And I did that over time and you know moved to a position where I was leading a group of not just people in my own science discipline but other science disciplines as well I just sort of expanded myself gradually gradually moving more into the leadership side of science as opposed to the actual doing of the science and what drove that change once I got in the job, I discovered that I really enjoyed it, um, more than I probably could have predicted. Mm. And it was quite interesting to me because when I, I know that sometimes when people who uh, come from a science background go into management, it can be kind of seen as going to the dark side. <laughs> it can be seen as, um, it used to be seen as the domain of old people. I remember distinctly <laughs> someone saying to me, oh, no, you're too young to go into management. You've got to do more <laughs> science yet. And I thought, well, I feel like it's quite a good time. <laughs> you know, mm. I don't feel too young. And yeah, I just sort of went for it and, and I actually have no regrets at all at leaving science behind. I still, 15 years later, I've been a manager full time for 15 years now, I still get people saying to me, do you miss science? And I think, well, I'm still in science. Yeah. Um, I'm just not going out into the field and collecting <laughs> data and um, I do miss that, you know, a day counting thrips on an avocado orchard is a very enjoyable day, I have to say. <laughs> so Leave that to yeah. the end of the day in, in, in the garden at home, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I miss being out in the field. Yeah. Um, yeah, have to do that on the weekends now. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, so what other character traits do you think made you well suited to the business strategy? Oh, I don't know about character traits. Um, 
I have spent a lot of my time as a manager trying to think bigger picture as opposed to going right down into the details. Yeah. Um, a lot of scientists actually through their training will become really will, will drop down into a very high level of detail. And I don't know if anyone's had a conversation with many scientists, they might notice that um, <laughs> you ask what you might think is a simple question and you get quite a long, complicated answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've always been quite interested in sort of trying to simplify things, mm-hmm. trying to sort of distill things down to the, sort of the key elements without going down to too much detail. So, yeah, yeah um, and maybe that's again going back to the fact that I don't know too much, about, I don't know that much about a lot of the detail, but um, so I need to just try and pick the, the high-level nuances out. Excellent. Sounds yeah. like a yeah. fascinating role, really. Mm. So a lot of uh, leaders have had good mentors in their career. Have you, mm. have you experienced good mentorship in your role, yeah. um, either as a mentee or a mentor? Yeah, yeah well, I'm, there's a few people that stand out. Like when I was still at university, we had a guest lecturer come in to talk to us and she came from the DSIR and she gave us a talk about insect diseases. And I was blown away when she walked into the room and this was way back in the 80s, so for those who remember the 80s, this is punk, <laughs> the end of the punk. This... Right. This peroxided spiky hair, you know, um, you know, winkle picker boots and came marching in and gave us this amazing lecture. And I just thought, I didn't know people who looked like that could could talk like this, you know, the science right. academic excellence and this just this outstanding kind of personality. And I thought, I want to be like that. And actually it turned out this particular woman, I, I came to work with her for many years and she was a fantastic mentor for me. And she became, she actually became a senior manager um, in, in the science organisation herself. And at, at one stage she decided to go back to science, sort of step away from management and, and go back to science. And I always remember who's saying to me when I became a manager, she said, well, look, if you ever feel like you want to go back to science, let me know and I'll let you know how to gracefully exit. Right. You know, and, I, and you know, she was just a fantastic role model. So, um, and there's been a number of managers I've had that have just been incredibly supportive. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, the number one thing that, that I, when I think back, as, as a manager working with a team of other managers or being in a leadership team, is you have to be prepared to find your voice. You have to take what, for, I don't know whether it's a woman thing, but sometimes women can think things and they don't necessarily say them. Mm. Um, but you have to take your inside voice and make it an outside voice and be prepared to sort of say your feelings, your opinions yep. in a collegial way and have be prepared to have discussions where not everyone necessarily agrees but actually be prepared to sort of talk them out. Right. Um, weigh up ways, pros and cons, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I've heard plenty of good leaders who have taught me how to oh, right. um, do that yeah. in a supportive way. Excellent. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah, it takes a bit of courage, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Finding courage yeah. Um, is so important. Do you think you've needed courage in your career or has it always just been? Definitely. Yes? Okay. Definitely. Um, I, I, um, I remember saying to someone a little while ago that I was an introvert and they said, no, you're not. And I said, well, actually I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and probably when I was at school, I never said boo to the teachers, but actually I've had to find my courage. And once you've found it once, and you know it's there actually it's not very hard to find the second time right the third time it's even easier and by the time you've done it a hundred times you don't even realize it's courage sure so, sure yeah so you just have to do it just speak up yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely 
That's know. great. And have you mentored yourself? Have you mentored others? Because um, Yeah, I have. Yeah. yeah, I have. I mean, various formal and informal mentoring programs as part of the leadership program we've had at this organisation. We've had coaches. Um, I've mm. sort of been involved in that. But also I've had some people that I've actually um, had particularly, you know, close relationships with where we'll have kind of conversations um, that you would describe as mentoring. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So um, in terms of advice for others, um, um, you could you could speak to many levels of, uh, of uh, different types of advice, but um, for someone wanting to transition from bench science to science strategy, what would your advice for them be? Oh, well, I, I would always say go for it. Don't feel like it's selling out. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and because it is very enjoyable and I think it's still a really important part of the whole science system. Mm. So, um, and yeah. and if they have a, a strong science background, what's, what sort of experience would they need to move into the business side? Just on the job or would um, you recommend to get well, some sort of education? Of, I think there's a bit of a mix and I was really lucky in that I, when I moved into management, it, it was sort of smallish teams which grew over time so I got a bit of experience. I mean one of the most challenging things is where you've got difficult situations with people yes. and I think that does help to um, get some specialist advice from, you know, human resources expert, experts, but mm. there are things that you learn um, through experience. I've also, over the years, I guess, done a number of courses, professional development courses in leadership, quite, you know, a number of them over the years, which have been really, really helpful and fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, more recently, when I became a member of the senior leadership team, I reached out to a number of people in other organisations just to sort of have a, a little bit of a chat and advice from them. That was really, really good. These are people outside science. Mm. And and I guess the other piece of advice is that there, you know, there are a lot of people out who have similar roles to me in different organisations and actually forming a network and right. building those connections is actually really, really helpful. So okay. Because we can you can use each other as sounding boards and about about things. Right. Mm. And on the commercial side of things, this senior leadership uh, team would, or the role in the SLT yeah. would be an economics, uh, business-driven yeah. sort of yeah. role. Yeah. How did you gain your experience with that? Well, I guess I've been doing, right, when I was a scientist, you know, we were writing budgets and doing pitches and d- dealing with contracts and things like that. So, you know, you take an interest in those. Yeah. Um, but, you right. know, that's been part of my professional development is doing, having some formal training and some of that stuff. So, right. Yeah. Yep. You know, being able to read a balance sheet. Sure. And know what that means <laughs> is really important. Yep. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And lastly, there might be some uh, listeners who are more formally trained in business but have, mm. have had like a weekend casual interest in science and might want to work for a science organisation in a business strategy role. Yeah. Is there is there room for people like that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Over um, one, you know, I've been around for so long, I can remember how things have changed, but we actually have quite a few people in the organisation who are, who are dedicated to the business of science um, because... At the end of the day, if the science actually doesn't get out and isn't used, it's not creating value, it's not creating impact. And mm-hmm. so the business managers or the people supporting the commercialisation, they're so essential to actually making sure that the science can get out and be used. Absolutely. And it's a skill in its own right. Absolutely. So, yep. mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, it'll be a great day when we don't need to ask uh, a woman about the dynamics between gender and career, but we're not there yet. Um, in a recent documentary uh, entitled Picture a Scientist, chronicled the gender and racial discrimination within science. Was gender discrimination an issue for you in your career? 
Um, I'd like to say it wasn't, <laughs> um, but I think like um, many women, there have been certain things that have happened that are, are not particularly pleasant, particularly when I was very young. Uh, um, some, some I won't go into the details, but there certainly yeah. were some conversations that if I look, if that happened today, I would be responding very differently. Um, but I would say that as I've become more senior in the organisation, I do have a bit of a watch out where I th- where I hear or see anything that I think might be discriminatory, make it harder for not just women but other types of diversity. Um, That is definitely a place where I find my inside voice and speak out. And I've actually been quite interested in the gender dynamics within research and science and I've done some analysis for my own organisation. It is still quite frustrating that the people who tend to have to talk about that are like the women are the ones that tend to talk about the position of women in the science organisation. Mm. It would be nice to think that one day we'll have men talking about that and saying, what can we do? Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you were the first woman in the plant and food senior leadership team. Congratulations. <laughs> yes, thanks. Can you sum up why it's important to have diversity in senior leadership teams? Well, I think just looking at this organisation for a start, 50% of the people who work at Plant and Food Research are women. And so to not have any representation of 50% of the gender of your staff is just quite strange, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. But even if you put that aside, I think that... We want to make sure we get all the talent of the organisation. If you don't, if you end up filtering out what's actually fifty percent of your workforce from those higher roles, you, you, the reality is you're going to be filtering out talent. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and just an observation. I'd read this through. The, I read this, but I have found it to be true myself. Is that when, when you're a single woman in a room, you know, it's 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 okay, but it, um, it's much easier when there's two of you in a room. Sure. And so. So yeah, like you say, it um, yeah. you need to be able to, you know, speak your mind, and it's hard to do yeah. that if you're the only female in the room. Yeah, and yeah. but you were in those situations yourself, I suppose. For yes, I yes yeah. I am, and I'm not now. There's quite a few women on our senior leadership yep. team now. It's almost fifty fifty. Great. Um, so, um, and it, and it, and it, and it works really well. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Mm. So, what would you like to see change to improve diversity, equality, and inclusion in science in New Zealand? Personally, I think that there needs to be some proactive attention to that. I mean, I would like to think that actually it's all sorted and we don't need to do anything. But I can just give an example where we were looking at nominations for um, some science awards and the nominations that came up to the evaluation group were all men. And I just said, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 go back, try harder. We must have some women who we want to nominate. And so the people did and they came up with a woman, several women, and actually a woman ended up winning the award um, but actually she was not even identified in the first round and so what I would see I would love to have that change we actually we didn't have to make special efforts to, to, yeah. to get diversity into things like that I mean another example we had a program of speakers for our summer studentship programs uh, our summer students one year and I, I looked at the draft program and they were all male scientists and I said uh-uh no we're not having that <laughs> um, we need to get some women scientists out there we need to show the diversity so um, one day I hope that they don't need anyone who might have unofficially taken on that watchdog role which is what I have yes. tried to do yeah. because it actually doesn't happen so, yeah, no. yeah, yeah you're right yeah mm. Uh, I'm sure we will get there. Yeah, (laughs) yes, we will. We will, for sure, and with a lot of uh, education Mm. and celebration of Mm. women's achievements, really. Mm. 
So, um, of course, a key part of your science journey is that it's taking a significant pause with your upcoming departure from plant and food. Mm. So what are your plans for the future? Well, I, I forgot to have a gap year or go do my OE. Um, <laughs> went from school to university to work. And so my obviously I can't travel right now, but if, if I could travel overseas, it would be <laughs> a bit of an OE. Yeah. But um, my plan is to do quite a lot of travelling around the country. Um, I have a desire to walk the length of the country, the Te Araroa Trail, if anyone's heard of that. Yes, um, yes. So, I've seen a lot of um, sore walkers. Um, yeah, <laughs> so that. I'm quite keen to kick off that next spring when the, the, the season starts. Wonderful. So yeah, just to sort of spend a bit more time with my partner who is retired as well. So just have a great time enjoying everything that New Zealand has to offer. Yeah, and it has a lot to offer, doesn't mm. it? So do you see a return to science in some shape or form in the future? Um, well, I... Um, I love science and I don't see me walking away from it completely. So I definitely don't see that that door has shut for good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And lastly, upon reflection, what accomplishments in your career are you most proud of? Well, there's been, um, well, I mentioned earlier the Kiwi Green Program, the, ki- mm. the residue-free kiwi fruit. I will always be really proud of being part of that. Um, another thing that I'm really proud of, though, is that I was a member of the team that won the Prime Minister Science Award in 2017 for the Plant and Food Research Response to PSA. It was very, very hard few years, but I'm very, very proud of the way that Plant and Food Research and the... Uh, many hundreds of people probably who were part of the plant and food research science response were able to actually help. That's great. Yeah, I'd be extremely proud of those accomplishments as well. Mm. (laughs) So I'd like to sincerely thank you, Philippa, for your time and for sharing your journey with us. Enjoy your gap year. Thank you. And hopefully we'll see you soon in a leadership team near us. (laughs) Thank you very much. And thank you out there for listening. If you'd like to know more about our SciGest episodes, please check out the SciGest pages on the Plant and Food website for extra links and photos. Please also subscribe to our channel in iTunes or your favourite podcast provider. And don't forget to post a review and rate this podcast. I'd suggest five stars. Thank you and mate wa. 